Yeah, hallelujah. That's a good word, Lee. I mean, that's, I just really want each of you, I believe this, I want to emphasize this, is God, you were on his heart from the foundations of the world. He has destinies, he has a destiny and a calling for you that is different than somebody else, that is different than everybody else. Tune in, find out what that is, and walk in that. And sometimes you just learn that by just doing something, and then you say, wow, yeah, I really like doing this. And other times, you know, it's, it's God just kind of sovereignly does it. And so um, just that's a great word for us today. Um, we're going to continue our look at the cross in the Tanakh. And we're going to be looking at an incredible psalm today, Psalm 22. I love this psalm. And we're going to be looking that kind of, we're only going to be looking at half of it today and then we'll continue on with it next week. But I really believe that the, the, the cross, and let me emphasize again, when I talk about the cross, I'm not talking about a symbol. I'm talking about the incredible, miraculous birth of Yeshua, his life, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the cross. It's the most transformative event in world history, in human history, where the power of God was revealed in the Tanakh, the Old Testament. It was a literal out earthquake that took place. When Yeshua, and literally, there was an earthquake that took place when Yeshua was crucified. Physical earthquake, but I believe it was a historical earthquake that is still happening today. The Lamb of God had to be slain, and his blood had to redeem for God every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And only one person in history was worthy of doing that. Yeshua. The power of God was revealed in the Tanakh. Paul says that. I don't preach anything except for Yeshua and him crucified. But he said, to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. In other words, it doesn't match up with my intellectual understanding of what should happen. Well, who cares what our intellectual understanding of what should happen? Who cares? Some people will say it makes no earthly, rational sense, the cross. And guess what? It doesn't. Do you think on that afternoon that Yeshua was crucified, the devil goes, yes. But what about a few days later when Yeshua was resurrected? What was his response then? Ah, from yet to ah. Last week we looked at um, Psalm, the end of, well, the last couple of weeks. Well, actually, last week Kent spoke, and he got a great word. Thank you for that word. It was awesome. But we were looking at Isaiah 52 and 53, which is probably um, has, those chapters have so much about Yeshua and the cross and and it focuses on the events that surrounded Yeshua at the cross. Spoken prophetically hundreds of years before the events took place. We see pictured in those chapters in Isaiah 52 and 53, a servant, Messiah, 
actually called the Messiah, was not referring to the nation of Israel, which some of our Jewish people, a lot of our Jewish people believe. Then the key verse is, is Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, but he was pierced because of our transgressions and crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We say that every week. We proclaim that, and by faith we walk that out every day of our lives. Amen? And we see in those chapters the slain lamb as a substitutionary atonement. John the Immersioner, Yohanan the Immerser, he knew this when he saw, prophetically, he saw Yeshua walking towards him at the, at the Jordan. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think the Lord put that on him. God put that on his heart to say those words. And we know that when Yeshua was, was crucified on that ugly day, that Passover so many thousands of years ago. Righteousness was imparted by his death, by his shedding of his blood, by his substitutionary atonement. Righteousness was imparted to those who receive it. I'm not one of those who believe that, yeah, he died, and, and because of his death, everybody automatically is, received, you know, is, is okay, saved. And there are a lot of people who believe that. I don't. We have to receive we have to receive his substitutionary death. That's what Romans, and especially Romans chapter 6, is all about. By Messiah's sacrifice, the curse of the fall was reversed by his sacrifice, by his substitutionary atonement. And by his righteousness, which is a gift, and a gift is, how do you earn a gift? David, how do you earn a gift? Is it possible to earn a gift? But how many of us feel like we have to earn? Somebody gives you a gift. Devorah, I give you a gift. And she'd receive it and go, she knows how to receive a gift, but other people like me, you give me a gift, I'm thinking, oh, God, what do I need to do to pay them back? They give me a gift, now i got to do something. To, and I, that was my relationship with the Lord for a lot of years. God, you did some wonderful, incredible things to me. How can I pay you back? And I started working at paying him back not realizing it's a gift. And in that gift of righteousness, we, it says we can reign in life through Yeshua. So let's turn to Psalm 22. Like the old time preachers used to say, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? Psalm 22. And nowadays we don't have to because we have PowerPoint. I'm going to read the first... Uh, few verses here. But as we look at Psalm 22, this is incredible because Yeshua quoted from this while he was dying. And he knew that this was a, a, a Tanakh scripture that was describing him. He knew it. And in this, we're in uh, Isaiah 52 and 53, we looked at the events of the cross but here we look at Yeshua, what he experienced himself, what he felt, what he felt, while, what were his reactions on the cross. So let's start reading in verse 1. And some of you, um, 
You know, I read out of the um, Tree of Life version. And so, um, so for some of you who don't have that version, verse 1 is actually, um, well, it's, it's actually verse 2. Does that make sense? Okay. It says, for the, director, for the music director on the dove of the, on the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. So we know that this is David prophetically speaking. It's a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Distant from my salvation are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cried out by day, but you did not answer. By night, but there was no rest for me. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers put their trust they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. So we kind of break this down a little bit. There's a, there's a word, a Hebrew word, remiz, remiz. I believe it's pronounced remiz. And it's a rabbinic teaching technique, which Basically, remise means hinting, hint to hint. And so uh, what that means is back in that day, the Torah was not portable. The Torah was not something they put on their, their Apple phone and carried anywhere. Yeah, just like that. It was not, you know, they didn't go to the local and, um, bookstore and, and read or go to the library. It was not portable. And so the Jewish people committed the words to memory. They committed it to memory. And, and so, and if you've ever seen um, young Israelis, if you ever go to the wall in Jerusalem or even around here in the cities and, and you watch them pray, and many times they doven, they doven, and you know this, David, they doven. And a lot of their dovening, you're wondering what that is, is it's they're taught the words by, they, it, it helps them to remember the words that they, they've learned. Okay? So when a verse or phrase in this whole, the, the, that technique of remis is when a verse or a phrase in a particular scripture is mentioned, the context of that whole thing comes, comes to mind. I like what David, David Stern, who I've had the privilege of meeting. David Stern is a, is a um, for many of you who have the complete Jewish Bible, he is the one that uh, wrote that Bible or translated that Bible. Just an awesome guy. He's still hanging in there. But he writes this, in Judaism, when the Bible verse is cited, its entire context is implied, if appropriate. Thus, Yeshua refers all of Psalm 22 to himself. Yeshua quoted these words at his execution, putting the whole psalm in context. When he was on the script, when he was on the on that cross and he cried out, Eli, Eli, Lemas Bachtani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That whole chapter, he's saying, This refers to me. So what you're going to be reading in Psalm 22 refers to Yeshua. And what we hear in those words 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, is an anguishing cry of total abandonment. Yet, in his declaration, he's also declaring the holiness of God. God, you are faithful to our people, and you will be faithful to me. Dr. Benjamin Cohen, he's another Jewish theologian. He writes this about that passage of Scripture. He, Yeshua, feels that he has been abandoned by God and his faith is sorely being tried. And in that passage of Scripture that I just read in Psalm 22, he says, oh my God, oh my God, I cry out by day, you did not answer. By night, but there was no rest for me. And I'm reminded that Yeshua is even referring to Gethsemane, 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 the night before. If you know, he said, if, if this cup can pass, let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He had to wrestle with that because he knew what was before him. That's what he says. That's what it means by when the psalmist writes, by night, but there was no rest for me. Let me ask you a question, and I know what the answer is. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt like the, the heavens were brass, silent? There was, you know, where are you, God, in the midst of this? No? Somebody say, you never felt that way? Jan, let me come over there and touch you. <laughs> no, we can identify with that, can't we? We really can. And this is where the faith is, is the vehicle that allows us to engage with God's promises to us. Because every one of us has been in those situations. And that's where faith needs to be engaged so that we can engage with the promises that God has for us. So many of us, when we feel like that God has abandoned us, what we do is we act like God's abandoned us and we do our own thing instead of pressing in, pressing in, pressing in. Faith is a vehicle that allows us to engage with God's promises to do what he said, what he's promised for us to do. Cynthia, did you have a question? Yes, Jan. Exactly. We do that a lot, all of us, yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, some would look at this passage of Scripture and they would say, well, but yeah, but Yeshua was God. Didn't he know that the Father was going to do this? I mean, after all, didn't he know? And yeah, he knew. He knew what was going to happen. But still, can you imagine, put yourself in his place. He's fully God, yet fully man. He's never been separated from his Father. Never been separated from his Heavenly Father. And now he knows that there's going to be a time of separation. Just feel what he felt. Matter of fact, let's turn to Luke chapter 24. Yeshua understood and he knew what was going to happen. But I want us to read these, this passage of scripture. Luke 24. We read this a few weeks ago, but in starting in verse 25, it says, Yeshua said to them, remember he's talking, he's walking along the road with these his disciples, they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him. And he's talking, and so listen to what he Yeshua said to them, Oh, foolish ones, so slow of heart to put your trust in all that the prophets spoke. 
Was it not necessary for Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. So yes, he knew what was going to happen and what, what place he was, what part he was going to be playing. And then uh, verse 44. He says, then he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written concerning me in the Torah of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So everything written in Psalm 22 had to be fulfilled. Then verse verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, so it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance for the removal of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning with Jerusalem. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So we could be powerful witnesses. That's why he opened their minds, so that they can be powerful witnesses to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then he says later, he says, I will send the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, to do this. So yes, he knew that he was going to be abandoned by the Father for that period of time. See, this is the part that I want us to to focus in on. We often say that he took our sins upon him, and he did. But think of it this way. He didn't just take our sins, your sins, Julie, my sins, your sins, Tom, upon himself. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. That is huge. He didn't deserve that. We did, but he didn't. And this is something that he understood that sin separates us from God. The father had to turn his back on his son because his son became sin. Darkness covered the earth. So, we can never fully understand what Yeshua felt. But just kind of giving you, and even speaking words, it's kind of hard to, to really imagine what he said. But he became sin. And I just want to, just a little bit of an aside. You see, we have two problems when we're born into this world. Every one of us has two problems. First of all, Psalm 59, verse 2. It says, rather, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Yeshua is crying out to the Father, and the Father doesn't hear because he became sin, sin separated from him. So we all had that same problem when we were born into this world, is that we are separated from God because of our sin, and Yeshua became sin on our behalf. Think about that. That's the first problem. The second problem is we have no life because our spirit inside of us is dead when we're born into this world. And so when he dies, he imparts his spirit. He gives us his heart, his spirit, a new spirit. We became a new creation. He imparts his righteousness into us. That's incredible. So the two problems we had are taken care of by Yeshua. So now you understand why he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't just, 
oh, okay, i got to say these words in order to fulfill the scriptures. No, because he was forsaken. God had turned his back on him for that period of time. Yet, he goes on to declare his trust in the Father. He declares that, God, you've been faithful to our people throughout the generations, and you'll be faithful to me. He declares that he will not be disappointed in God. Can we say that when we feel like we're being abandoned? Let's read on verse 7 through 9. That's my Bible, not yours. Tree of Life, verses 7 through 9. He says, am I a worm and not a man? Am I a, scorn of, am I the scorn of men, despised by people? All who see me mock me. They curl their lips, shaking their heads. Rely on Adonai. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. This, they were mocking him. Since he delights in him. The question, am I a worm and not a man? Again, Dr. Cohn says, he quotes it this way. It's basically what he's saying is, I am so disfigured by cruelty, I don't even have the appearance of a man any longer. The rabbis compare Isaiah 52, 14, and 53, 3. And they tie those to the gruesome death and the mocking that the Messiah was to, take, was to, 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 um, to experience. Isaiah 52, 14, it says, Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was disfigured more than any man, his form more than the sons of man. And then verse, or chapter 53, um, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one of whom people shall hide their faces. He was despised and we did not esteem him. So they, the rabbis dis describe the mocking and the abuse that Yeshua was to cover. The irony today is that if you go to Jews and you say, why, why don't you believe in Yeshua? The interesting thing is, you know what their response usually is? Most Jews, well, our, our rabbis have told us he's not the Messiah. And yet one of the qualifying features of being the Messiah is that would be, he would be rejected by his own people. So when you're talking with the Jewish people, pray for them that their eyes would be open to see that. When prophecy comes to pass, we see literal fulfillment. And we see this fulfillment in Matthew chapter 27. So if you'd turn there with me. Or look upon the PowerPoint. Matthew 27 and verse 39. Those passing by were jeering at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild in three days, save yourselves if you are Ben Elohim. Come down from the stake. Likewise, the ruling Kohanim, along with the Torah scholars and elders, were also mocking him. He saved others, they were saying, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the stake and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he wants him, for he said, I am Ben Elohim. Even the outlaws who were executed with him were ridiculing him in the same way. We see that the, the prophecy was prophesied in Isaiah in Psalms by David has come to pass, and we see its literal fulfillment there. 
And we see that it allows no excuse for those who reject him. No excuse for those who reject him. Also, what about those who reject the modern state of Israel as the fulfillment of prophecy? Verse 10 and 11, Psalm 22. Go back to Psalm 22. Verses 10 and 11. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me secure at my mother's breasts. From the womb I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Interesting passage of scripture. In here we see that his mentions his earthly mother three times in those two verses. But he never mentions his, his earthly father. And it's interesting because, and I say this because the scriptures never contradict his virgin birth. This is just another, uh, you know, he, his virgin birth. That's why his father was not mentioned, his earthly father. Move on to verses 13 and 15, through 15. It says, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircled me. They open wide their mouths against me like, like a tearing, roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within my innards. Verses 13 and 14, it talks about the bulls. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan. The bull, scripturally, is, is a symbol of brutal strength. Bashan is a, a region, a very fertile region, by the way, uh, not in Israel per se, but it's actually on the other side of the Jordan River. It's a, it's a fertile district beyond the Jordan. In this passage of scripture, he could be referring to those Roman soldiers who were just mistreating him and abusing him and beating on him and mocking him, as well as the crowds. And, 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 and also referring to a conquering empire. Rome was just brutal. Rome was all over the world. And, it was just, and, and so it could be referring to the Roman Empire and the Roman soldiers in particular. In verse 15, which we had just read, it says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within my innards. Worship team, if you can come on up. This is a poetic, very poetic yet very accurate description of one being crucified. And we see this that um, it, it was fulfilled in, in John 19.34. It says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Which is interesting because he was already dead. And what is traditionally what they did at the crucifixion was they would, because it was a long, drawn-out process, excruciatory, the pain was extraordinary. And to cause even more pain and to quicken the death, the Roman soldiers would often break the bones, especially the leg bones of the person being crucified, so they weren't able to lift themselves up and catch their breath. They didn't have to do that with Yeshua. He was already dead when the spear was put into his side, and out came a, a, a watery mixture of, of blood and water. And, and this, is, this is something that doesn't always happen, but it surrounds the hearts and lungs. And some say that he died of a broken heart. 
It would make sense to me. Died of a broken heart. Even in his death, fulfilling the scriptures, water came forth. Verse 16, my strength is dried up like a clay pot. My tongue clings to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. So in conclusion, Dr. Cohn again says, thou hast brought me into the dust of death. And this is what he says in regards to that. If his persecutors succeed in destroying his life, it must be God's will, for the Jew could never think of anything happening without God. We see the literal fulfillment in, in John chapter 19, starting in verse 28 of this passage of Scripture. It says, after this, when Yeshua knew that all things were completed to fulfill the Scriptures. It says, to fulfill the Scriptures. He said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they put a, a sponge soaked with the sour wine on a hyssop hyssop branch and brought it to his mouth. When Yeshua tasted the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Even in death, he fulfills the scripture about being thirsty. And I want to close with this. We can stand and just prepare to go into a time of worship and we were going to do um, communion today, Yeshua Supper, but because of the situation with, you know, just the, the juice and everything, we just decided we're going to put that off for now. Um, but I want us to, to think of this as we just read these scriptures of what you, Yeshua experienced, and what his heart attitude was when he was being crucified. And I want us to, to look at ourselves for a second. So we pick up our cross daily because we are called to pick up our cross daily. That's hard to do. Can we have the same attitude? Can we have the same attitude that Yeshua had? Even though he was experiencing what he experienced, he knew what the Father had said about him. He knew what the Father had called him to do. He was obedient. We sing this every, every Shabbat. Obedient unto death. The Father is calling us to walk in that same attitude as we pick up our cross daily. Are we walking in being submissive to what the Lord says about who we are and what our calling is? Are we walking in obedience unto death? Now, I don't know if, you know, we're being called to, to that, I don't, you know, to that same kind of death. No way. But are we being obedient? And this is a hard one as we pick up our cross daily. Are we giving up every right? Some of us hold on to rights. You know, we hear a lot about rights today. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. I don't know, I've been to a point where I didn't know that I had a right to live beyond the next day, where I was going into a surgery and there was no guarantee of anything. I had to give up my very right to life. Some of us have had to do that in the past. 
giving up our rights, experiencing humiliation, rejection, and still being able to forgive and love. And this is what I want to close with. Oftentimes, people have offended us, and we can't get beyond that. And we hold on to that offense. And God is saying to us to let those offenses go. Walk free of those offenses. Sometimes the person that offended you doesn't even know they offended you. And you're walking in a, you're in a prison because of that offense. And that, the enemy will use that as a bait to get you off on a tangent. And so as we enter into a time of worship, I just ask if there's anything, any offenses that we're holding on to us to give them to the Lord. He went to that cross, the most offensive. That was offensive to go to that place. He died for that offense. He wants us to receive his forgiveness, and he wants us to extend forgiveness to those who have offended us. It doesn't do any good to hold on to those things, guys. It's death. It's death. So, Father, in the name of Yeshua, as we go into a time of worship, Lord, I want this to be a time of self-introspection, a time of, of, God, am I walking in the way that you've called me to pick up my cross daily? And, Lord, and I thank you for the sacrifice. I thank you, Lord, for what you did that day 2,000 years ago. I thank you, Lord, that it wasn't just to save me and to heal me, but it was to bring a shalom inside of me. And Lord, we know that a lot of times if we're holding offense, there's no shalom, there's no peace. And so, Father, I pray that each and every one of us would walk in peace and receive that gift of a righteousness that's been imparted by your blood, your precious blood. It's no more the animals and all of those animals that were your perfect precious blood was shed one time for all of us, for every sin, for every offense committed against us. Lord, we can trust you. Lord, just as Yeshua did. Just as Yeshua did. We thank you, Lord. You are faithful. Amen. Amen. Amen.